Chapter 11, Part 2 of The Many-Sided Franklin by Paul Lester Ford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter 11, Politician and Diplomat, Part 2. As this implied, Franklin was a warm partisan of the connection between Great Britain and her colonies. Even after the Stamp and Revenue Acts should have shown him how selfishly bent on her own narrow interest the mother country was, he ascribed those measures solely to the corrupt Parliament and expressed the hope that, quote, nothing that has happened or may happen will diminish in the least our loyalty to our sovereign or affection for this nation in general. I can scarcely conceive a king of better dispositions, of more exemplary virtues, or more truly desirous of promoting the welfare of all his subjects. The experience we have had of the family in the two preceding mild reigns, and the good temper of our young princes, so far as can yet be discovered, promise us a continuance of this felicity." As for the colonies, he said, they had not only a respect but an affection for Great Britain, for its laws, its customs and manners, and even a fondness for its fashions that greatly increased the commerce. Natives of Britain were always treated with particular regard. To be an old England man was, of itself, a character of some respect, and gave a kind of rank among us." Thus he wrote when America was ablaze with opposition to the parliamentary acts, but still he could assert, quote, And yet there remains among the people so much respect, veneration, and affection for Britain, that if cultivated prudently with a kind usage and tenderness for their privileges, they might be easily governed still for ages, without force or any considerable expense. But I do not see here a sufficient quantity of wisdom that is necessary to produce such a conduct, and I lament the want of it. End quote. In answer to the charge that the colonies desired independence, he replied, The Americans have too much love for their mother country. And he assured Lord Chatham that, quote, having more than once traveled almost from one end of the continent to the other, and kept a great variety of company, eating, drinking, and conversing with them freely, I never had heard in any conversation from any person, drunk or sober, the least expression of a wish for a separation, or hint that such a thing would be advantageous to America, end quote. Feeling this strong loyalty himself, Franklin worked unendingly to prevent the breach. Convinced as he was that the government cannot long be maintained without the union of the two, he retorted when it was urged that in time the colonies by their growth would become the dominant half, quote, which is best, supposing your case, to have a total separation or a change of the seat of government, End quote. Early and late he preached the necessity of a closer union, but it fell on ears deafened by self and immediate interests, and he was forced to acknowledge that all his arguments were in vain. For, quote, the Parliament here do at present think too highly of themselves to admit representatives from us if we should ask it, and when they will be desirous of granting it, we shall think too highly of ourselves to accept it. It would certainly contribute to the strength of the whole if Ireland and all the dominions were united and consolidated under one common council for general purposes, each retaining its particular council or parliament for its domestic concerns. But this should have been early provided for. In the infancy of our foreign establishments, it was neglected or was not thought of. 
and now the affair is nearly in the situation of friar bacon's project of making a brazen wall around england for its eternal security his servant friar bungie slept while the brazen head which was to dictate how it might be done said time is and time was he only waked to hear it say time is past an explosion followed that tumbled their house about the conjurer's ears if such a union he argued were now established which methinks it highly imports this country to establish it would probably subsist as long as britain shall continue as a nation this people however is too proud and too much despises the americans to bear the thought of admitting them to such an equitable participation in the government of the whole every man in england he complained seems to consider himself as a piece of a sovereign over america seems to jostle himself into the throne with the king and talks of our subjects in the colonies and with real indignation he charged that quote, angry writers use their utmost efforts to persuade us that this war with the colonies for a war it will be is a national curse when in fact it is a ministerial one End quote the british he maintained have no idea that any people can act from any other principle but that of interest and they believe that three pence in a pound of tea of which one does perhaps drink ten pounds in a year is sufficient to overcome all the patriotism of an american in noting however that the english feel but they do not see that is they are sensible of inconveniences when they are present but do not take sufficient care to prevent them he was too inherently fair-minded not to acknowledge the faults of the colonies as well and especially of those politicians who were striving to foment divisions Quote, i think the new yorkers have been very discreet in forbearing to write and publish against the late act of parliament he wrote to a friend in america I wish the Boston people had been as quiet, since Governor Bernard has sent over all their violent papers to the ministry and wrote them word that he daily expected a rebellion. When the mob in Boston destroyed the tea, he grieved over a lawlessness which had united all parties in England against the American cause. And though he was the agent for Massachusetts, he risked his position by honestly telling the leaders in that province that, quote, I cannot but hope that the affair of the tea will have been considered in the assembly before this time, and satisfaction proposed, if not made, for such a step will remove much of the prejudice now entertained against us, and put us again on a fair footing in contending for our old privileges as occasion may require, end quote. When his advice was disregarded, he complained, and so we shall go on injuring and provoking each other, instead of cultivating that good will and harmony so necessary to the general welfare. Again and again he begged the extremists in Massachusetts not to excite the people, for all the ends desired could be gained by peaceful methods far more certainly than by law-breaking and violence. Quote, in the meantime i must hope that great care will be taken to keep our people quiet he advised since nothing is more wished for by our enemies than by insurrections we should give a good pretense for increasing the military among us and putting us under more severe restraints his fear he declared was that imprudencies on both sides may step by step bring on the most mischievous consequences 
it is imagined here that this act will enforce immediate compliance and if the people should be quiet content themselves with the laws they have and let the matter rest till in some future war the king wanting aids from them and finding himself restrained in his legislation by the act as much as the people shall think fit by his ministers to propose the repeal the parliament will be greatly disappointed and perhaps it may take this turn i wish nothing worse may happen but if the people could be kept quiet for a time franklin held the outcome could not be doubtful it must be evident he affirmed that by our rapidly increasing strength we shall soon become of so much importance that none of our just claims of privilege will be as heretofore unattended to nor any security we can wish for our rights be denied us so he counseled even a submission to the parliamentary encroachments certain that their period must be brief the colonies are rapidly increasing in wealth and numbers he pointed out in the last war they maintained an army of twenty-five thousand a country able to do that is no contemptible ally in another war they may perhaps do twice as much with equal ease whenever a war happens our aid will be wished for our friendship desired and cultivated our good will courted then is the time to say redress our grievances you take money from us by force and now you ask it of voluntary grant you cannot have it both ways if you choose to have it without our consent you must go on taking it in that way and be content with what little you can so obtain if you would have our free gifts desist from your compulsive methods and acknowledge our rights and secure our future enjoyment of them our claims will then be attended to and our complaints regarded however much he might counsel moderate opposition and even temporary submission he did so because he believed it the most certain way of obtaining justice from great britain and not because he thought her conduct either prudent or justifiable long before the attempt to tax the colonies and so far as known before any other american had protested against such a course he claimed that quote, it is supposed to be an undoubted right of englishmen not to be taxed but by their own consent given through their representatives End quote. his opposition to parliamentary taxation began with the earliest attempt to a friend he wrote depend upon it my good neighbor i took every step in my power to prevent the passing of the stamp act nobody could be more concerned and interested than myself to oppose it sincerely and heartily but the tide was too strong against us the nation was provoked by american claims of independence and all parties joined in resolving by this act to settle the point we might as well have hindered the sun's setting that we could not do but since it is down my friend and it may be long before it rises again let us make as good a night of it as we can when contrary to his expectation the colonies refused to allow the act to be enforced and a movement to repeal the act began he told another quote, you guessed aright in supposing that i would not be a mute in that play i was extremely busy attending members of both houses informing explaining consulting disputing in a continual hurry from morning till night till the affair was happily ended during the course of it being called before the house of commons i spoke my mind pretty freely enclosed i sent you the imperfect account that was taken of that examination End quote. 
how strongly he felt the rights of his native land was shown by something else he wrote at this time in which he asserted that quote, i can only judge of others by myself i have some little property in america i will freely spend nineteen shillings in the pound to defend the right of giving or refusing the other shilling and after all if i cannot defend that right i can retire cheerfully with my little family into the boundless woods of america which are sure to afford freedom and subsistence to any man who can bait a hook or pull a trigger while other pleaders of the american cause were striving to explain previous acquiescences in parliamentary legislation he saw the futility of such attempts and took up the one consistent position Quote, the more i have thought and read on the subject the more i find myself confirmed in opinion that no middle doctrine can be well maintained i mean not clearly with intelligible arguments something might be made of either of the extremes that parliament has a power to make all laws for us or that it has a power to make no laws for us and i think the arguments for the latter more numerous and weighty than those of the former this doctrine was so in advance of what even the most extreme partisans of american rights thought of asserting that franklin never advocated it publicly on the contrary he was prepared to accept any compromise which would satisfy the two countries his purpose being to bring about a return of good feeling undoubtedly this desire to keep the middle ground was partly induced by his dual office holding for in these years in which he labored so unceasingly to prevent separation he held the royal office of joint deputy postmaster-general from the crown and several agencies from the colonies and franklin loved public office too well to wish to risk the loss of either so strong in fact was the itch that upon it being hinted to him that he might be given a better crown position than that he held he did everything in his power to gain the favor of those in office a vague message from the duke of grafton suggesting this as a possibility was sufficient to make franklin assure the go-between to use his own words i was extremely sensible of the duke's goodness and very thankful for his favorable disposition towards me that having lived long in england and contracted a friendship and affection for many persons here it could not but be agreeable to me to remain among them some time longer if not for the rest of my life and that there was no nobleman to whom i could from sincere respect for his great abilities and amiable qualities so cordially attach myself or to whom i should so willingly be obliged for the provision he mentioned as to the duke of grafton if his grace should think i could in any station where he might place me be serviceable to him and to the public as if this was not a sufficient forgetting of his own aphorism that a ploughman on his legs is higher than a gentleman on his knees for some weeks he left no stone unturned to cultivate the ministry acting on advice quote, i accordingly called at the duke's and left my card and when i went next to the treasury his grace not being there mr cooper carried me to lord north chancellor of the exchequer who said very obligingly after talking of some american affairs i am told by mr cooper that you are not unwilling to stay with us i hope we shall find some way of making it worth your while i thanked his lordship and said i should stay with pleasure if i could anyways be useful to government he made me a compliment and i took my leave the thursday following i received another note from mr cooper directing me to be at the duke of grafton's next morning whose porter had orders to let me in 
i went accordingly and was immediately admitted but his grace being then engaged in some unexpected business with much condescension and politeness made that an apology for his not discoursing with me then but wished me to be at the treasury at twelve the next tuesday i went accordingly when mr cooper told me something had called the duke into the country and the board was put off which was not known till it was too late to send me word but he was glad i was come as he might then fix another day for me to go again with him into the country he assures me the duke has it at heart to do something for me all the office seekers complaisance however proved but a waste of time instead of me being appointed to a new office he had to tell his son there has been a motion made to deprive me of that i now hold and i believe for the same reason though that was not the reason given out viz my being too much of an american once assured that he was to receive no new appointment there was an amusing change in his attitude i am now grown too old to be ambitious of such a station as that which you say has been mentioned he wrote repose is more fit for me and much more suitable to my wishes there is no danger of such a thing being offered to me and i am sure i shall never ask it but even if it were offered i certainly could not accept it to act under such instructions as i know must be given with it whether love of country or love of office was the governing motive for his endeavours to maintain or restore concord he narrowly escaped the usual fate of the go-between because he counselled acquiescence in the stamp act and had a friend nominated to a stamped commissionership he was deemed in america to be little better than a traitor and popular anger against him was so fanned by his political opponents that there was danger for a time of a mob taking vengeance on his family and property fortunately for franklin he was summoned before parliament and questioned at the time that body was considering the repeal of the stamp act and he published this examination in a pamphlet which proved remarkably popular quieted the furor against him and once more brought him into favor despite this self-vindication as he continued to counsel moderate measures franklin was from this time mistrusted by such whigs as james otis samuel adams john dickinson r h lee and other extremists and they did not consider him as belonging to their party yet this did not gain him favor with the government party in great britain and after years of labor he could only describe his position as follows being born and bred in one of the countries and having lived long and made many agreeable connections of friendship in the other i wish all prosperity to both but i have talked and written so much and so long on the subject that my acquaintance are weary of hearing and the public of reading any more of it which begins to make me weary of talking and writing especially as i do not find that i have gained any point in either country except that of rendering myself suspected by my impartiality in england of being too much an american and in america of being too much an englishman it was in seventeen seventy four that the maintenance of this mediatorial position was made impossible to him by a famous sequence of events complaining to a gentleman of character and distinction of the sending of troops to boston and the other repressive measures franklin was assured that none of them originated with the ministry but were solicited and obtained by some of the most respectable of the americans themselves as necessary measures for the welfare of that country 
upon franklin doubting his statement quote, he called on me some days after and produced to me letters from lieutenant governor hutchinson secretary oliver and others recommending the sending of troops and men of war and advising that in the colonies there must be an abridgment of what are called english liberties though astonished i could not but confess myself convinced End quote. With these in his possession, the colony agent believed it possible to bring about a reconciliation, and he begged permission to let his countrymen know of their existence, for he honestly believed that this would end the ill-feeling against Great Britain and place it instead upon the shoulders of the letter-writers. In this judgment he was entirely correct, for he was shortly able to write the colonial secretary that, quote, a sincere disposition prevails in the people there to be on good terms with the mother country, and it is said that having immediately discovered, as they think, the authors of their grievances to be some of their own people, their resentment against Britain is thence much abated, End quote unfortunately for the hope of the colony agent the british ministry which for years had been vacillating in the policy to be pursued as regards america was at that moment in one of its numerous periods of reaction and with a folly which to-day seems unbelievable instead of availing itself of this opportunity it sought to use it as a means of destroying the one american who had consistently striven to heal the breach upon a hearing before the privy council of a petition for massachusetts bay for the removal from office of the writers of these criminatory letters instead of dealing with the petition the solicitor-general alexander wedderburn launched into a savage personal attack upon franklin whom he charged with having obtained the letters by fraud if not by theft i hope my lords he said you will mark and brand the man for the honor of this country of europe and of mankind private correspondence has hitherto been held sacred in times of the greatest party rage not only in politics but in religion he has forfeited all the respect of societies and of men into what companies will he hereafter go with an unembarrassed face or the honest intrepidity of virtue men will watch him with a jealous eye they will hide their papers from him and lock up their escritoires he will henceforth esteem it a liable to be called a man of letters homo truum that is fur or thief literarum then after reassuring the sacredness of a private correspondence he continued this property is as sacred and as precious to gentlemen of integrity as their family plate or jewels are and no man who knows the whatleys will doubt but that they would much sooner have chosen that any person should have taken their plate and sent it to holland for his avarice than that he should have secreted the letters of their friends their brother's friend and their father's friend and sent them away to boston to gratify an enemy's malice a foreign ambassador when residing here just before the breaking out of a war and upon particular occasions may bribe a villain to steal or betray any state papers he is under the command of another state and is not amenable to the laws of the country where he resides and the secure exemption from punishment may induce a laxer morality but mr franklin whatever he may teach the people at boston while he is here at least is a subject End of chapter 11, part 2.